Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. Today, I will be talking about Crazy Rich Asians, starring Constance Wu and Henry Golding, and it's based off the book by Kevin Kwan. And with me virtually is my good friends, Christina and Hannah. Hi! (laughs) So for those of you who haven't seen this film, Crazy Rich Asians is about a woman named Rachel, who is a professor at NYU, and her boyfriend, Nick. Now, Nick invites Rachel on a trip to Singapore because he's the best man at his friend's wedding, and he wants to introduce Rachel to his family who live there. However, unknowingly to Rachel, Nick belongs to one of the richest families in Asia who are called the Young Family, and they're basically like royalty. This causes problems in their relationship, and secrets Nick has kept hidden from Rachel start to backfire. Let's just say his family is not the most welcoming kind, especially Nick's mother, since Rachel is an Asian American and has no money to her name. So, Christine and Hannah, what do we think of Crazy Rich Asians? Well, I watched, I was the one who introduced Christina to Crazy Rich Asians. I watched it last summer just on a whim, and I really loved the movie. Uh, I tried reading the book, uh, and that did not go well. Uh, I was, I, I, the book I found was very much, um, like, very much Kevin Kwan being like, this is exactly how much money this ring cost. Oh, look at me telling you how wealthy these people are, which gets very annoying. I only got about a quarter of the way through before I was like, I can't do this. So I was really lucky that I really loved the movie because it's so much easier to show wealth than it is to tell people about wealth. It just comes across a lot more organically. Um, But I love all of the characters in in the movie, especially uh, Rachel and uh, Nick's relationship. I almost said Henry. Freudian slip. Uh, Rachel and Nick's relationship is so sweet, and you can tell that they really do care about each other. Um, But for me, I think definitely the standout was uh, uh, Astrid. I loved Astrid so much. And I think, if I remember correctly, they're developing a sequel that's like, they're meant, I think they're going to try and do the whole trilogy of the Crazy Rich Asians books. And the second one focuses on Astrid, which oh. I am a big fan of. I loved Astrid, and I want to see more of her, desperately so. But Yeah, so uh, Astrid is Nick's cousin, right? So, And she's very much like kind of like Audrey Hepburn-esque, like the clothes she wears. And she's a very independent woman. And I, what I like about this movie is all the women in it, 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 pregnant and strong. You got Rachel, you got Nick's mother, you got Rachel's mother, um, and then Astrid. And and they're all, and um, uh, Rachel's best friend. They're all very strong females. They all have very strong morals outside of who they are, like, and how... For the for Nick's family uh, and like how they're defined by their money, they all have values like outside of that. And what what makes the conflict so interesting is that they are all very stubborn and set in their ways, which makes all the headbutting even more interesting. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the women are all like I mean all of the characters, but especially the women, they're all like really round characters. Mm-hmm. None of them is just like your stock stereotype like oh, haha, you have, like, the dumb friend and, like, the wacky sidekick and the, you know, old person or whatever. Like, they're yeah. all they're all very unique characters. And Astrid's whole storyline, Astrid getting her own storyline, I think, was so important to the movie. And it was so well-realized and it felt very organic, which is very hard to do in a rom-com where you have to sort of suspend your disbelief a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. And what's different about this rom-com is it doesn't just focus on the relationship between uh, Nick and Rachel. It like focuses on family relationships and then the relationship between Astrid and her husband and like friendship relationships, uh, his be- uh, the groom, uh, Nick's, Nick's the best man. They have a really strong bond compared to the other friends. If you can say friends, they don't even really, um, they're not even really nice to Nick, actually, the other people he's surrounded with. Um, they kind of exclude him. Yeah, because they're like, oh, Nick went away, like, but we stayed here and we like used our family's money for this, but Nick, like, did not. Like, he went to America and that's how he met Rachel, right? So I think because yeah. he went away, it made him sort of that outsider, but he still has, still has his one buddy at least. <laughs> yeah. So for this one, we were trying to do a destination film because none of us can really leave right now or go on a plane. And I thought what was cool about this movie that you pretty much in Singapore right away. You don't see much of New York. Uh, there's no flashbacks at all, except at the very beginning in 1995 when Nick is a child. That's the only flashback. So it pretty much just takes place in this unknown city to Rachel, but uh, Nick's home. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the food market scene, I loved so much. Because you're I, a big foodie. I'm a big foodie, but not in the <laughs> pretentious, like, I only eat certain types of food sense, and the I love all food and will eat it. So watching the scene when Rachel's, like, first there, and Nick and his friends meet them, and they're showing her around the food market, and they're trying all the different food, I was like, oh my god, I want to be right there, right now, so bad. I want to eat all of yeah. them all of that food. And I feel like, you know, when, before watching Crazy Rich Asians, like Singapore wasn't terribly high up on my travel list. It probably wasn't high up on a lot of people's travels list. But just think of the amount of money that brought into the Singapore tourist business. Like, oh my gosh, it's already such a beautiful city and it's got so much wealth behind it. But when you top it off with you, when you have one of the most successful Asian led casted movies, of all time being set in the city and showing it off in its modern splendor. Like, it's an absolutely gorgeous city, and I definitely do want to maybe try and go someday. Yes, (laughs) one day. Not this year. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, uh, like, back to, Christine, what you are saying about the food. Food is, like, a big theme in this movie. Like, the idea of, like, tradition and making the dumplings as a family, and Rachel is introduced on how to make the dumplings, and there's, like, this kind of routine and this connectedness, and then welcoming uh, when the bride newlyweds are welcoming them uh to singapore and they like like you said the food market it's kind of like a welcoming like welcome to this city here's food it's it's really interesting because a lot of times i hate it when in movies you never see characters eating and it just really bothers me so seeing this and everyone's like digging in food and it's very family-like and very traditional because i think like if you think about every kind of um, culture, we all kind of have our own dumpling kind of things. Like in Italy, it would be like ravioli or tortellini or like pierogies. In um... yes, yeah, there's <laughs> there's always some kind of um, way to connect with food. You, and like I didn't really think about it until like just now. But even even when Rachel like steps in every scene there seems to be some sort of like food connecting like line through because like right where do we first see Rachel and Nick 
at a coffee shop. Um, the the huge party where um, Rachel and Nick go is like they had his mom's house, I think, for as like a pre-wedding celebration, and they meet Rachel's. Uh, they meet Nick's mom's. Gee, I can't talk today. <laughs> um, they meet Nick's mom in the kitchen. And she's overseeing the food, and she when she first goes to Peg Lynn's house, it's over lunch or something like that. Like there's this very clear through line of using food as like how people connect, and how Rachel is sort of inserting herself into the culture of Singapore, which is very and, cool. And I think that also like, and obviously again I'm biased because I am such a fan of food in general. But I think that showing off the food of Singapore is a really good way to promote tourism because, I mean, you know, like, obviously... That food market's famous on its own. Yeah, like, Singapore is a gorgeous city. It's a gorgeous place in general. Like, you see, even with the, um, the, like, bachelor and bachelorette parties, when they go out on the boat and they go to the beach, and, like, yeah, it's gorgeous and it's stunning and it's amazing, but there are a lot of oceans there are a lot of beaches in the world but what makes one of the things that makes singapore so uniquely singapore is their food like what distinguishes one beach town from another the food that they serve there. it's so it's so blended in its different cultures because they don't just have like um they don't just have like traditional chinese food like dumplings um they probably i think i've seen some videos of singapore since and they have indian food they have vietnamese they have more like Japanese style. They have a real blend of cultures in Singapore outside of just like the generic sort of East Asian community. They have a lot of South Asian flavors as well. I know durian's very big in Singapore. Um, so the, the fact that they've sort of shown that off and shown how just mixed in culture and, um, and, and food specifically, um, that the city is is really really interesting because you you do focus on a lot of on, on these like East Asian Chinese families, but the fact that you have all these this one particular scene with the food market where they're showing off all the different types of food that you can get that aren't specifically East Asian is really really interesting. Yeah, and I actually didn't catch this. I don't think the first time I watched it, but there is a line uh, one of the characters says um, when Rachel. Uh, gets finally a little bit of a morning off and she goes to visit her college roommate and they're all sitting at the table eating and the college roommate's family's there and um the one of the her siblings isn't eating and the dad says you know you better eat your food a lot of children are starving in america and i thought that was like such an ironic thing because I mean, when you're living here, everyone says, oh, you better eat your food. You know, your kids are starving in China. So I thought that was really ironic. I'd never, I don't think I noticed that the first time. It's like, it's, you're not meant to catch it the first time, I think. And just the delivery, it's sort of a, it's delivered in the throwaway sort of style. Oh, there was a, hmm. uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there is this sort of throwaway style that the line has, um, but it's the fact that it's focused on in that moment is like it you can catch it in a second time and be like, wait a second. That's what funny. did what did you just yeah. say? Yeah, and like even when the mother um says to uh Nick, you know, pursuing one's passion, how American, like there is a lot of great quotes, especially that Nick's mother says that's like, wow, it's very traditional thing to say because, uh, you know, when you think of like a passion in America, it's like being, a, you know, like going on tour, or being in a band or like, you know, being an artist. And Rachel is a 
yeah, Rachel is a professor of economics. <laughs> like, it's a very good job to have. It's very much like accounting. So to think of that as like a passion that's so like out of the box is, is really weird. I think that has to do with like the sort of aspect of being self-made and the idea of the American dream of being self-made and building something from the ground up because that is a lot of what you know Rachel did she built herself up from the ground up and now she's got this really great teaching gig and that's what Nick is doing too he's trying to pursue his passions in a different way from what his family's done instead of just rolling into the family business and being a sort of cardboard cutout of who he's expected to be yeah, no, it's 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 yeah yeah it's 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 a very American ideal, especially to people who grow up, I guess, in that sort of box and who have this money and who are like, okay, well, this is just it. You're you're going to inherit this business, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, there's so much so much pressure on Nick, and it's it's Vanley. Basically, uh, you can find this out when you watch the movie. But they basically give him an ultimatum. They don't even give him an ultimatum. They're pretty much just like you cannot be with Rachel. But during the beginning half, it's like. What's he going to choose? His family in Singapore and living in Singapore and the money and the family business versus just Rachel in America. Like, those are his two options. And either way, he's going to hurt somebody. It is. I think it's interesting, too, because, like, you know, the more that I think about it, the, the sort of idea of, like, how Rachel has gotten to the success she has had, because she is successful, you know, she's not, like the wealthiest woman in America by any means, but like, you know, she's got this really successful, like high level job that she's really worked for and really studied for. Um, but the idea that, you know, her, like her mother sort of had to start from ground zero and make her own path and like build herself up on her own, as opposed to the, the idea of the young family where it's like, yeah, you work hard to keep the wealth that generations before you have had. And, and now, to generate more yeah, wealth. Yeah, now your job is to make sure that the next person, you know, who inherits from you is going to have even more wealth to inherit mm -hmm. because you did your job and you you know, busted your ass to, to keep up the family well. So it's both ideas of like, you know, both are, are ways of being put to work in order to make money, but they're just like, they come from very different points of view. Yeah, and you're seeing that, I think, I think you're seeing that conversation a lot right now. Like even with the, the Democratic National Convention that just happened, um, a lot of focus was on how Joe Biden knows what it's like to take the train into work and how he's had to struggle and work his way up the political ladder, whereas people like Donald Trump and people in his family have just like been handed this wealth and just get to storm in and do whatever they want. And it's not necessarily a great example, but it's just sort of in general this idea of um, having to be self-made and overcome obstacles and struggle and fight for what you want to do um, is very relevant, which I think is what makes um, Rachel's eventual clap back, claps back at the family um, so powerful when she shows up at the wedding at that, in that phenomenal dress and ends up sitting with a very well-respected guest. When she has that final scene in the Mahjong room, uh, uh, Mahjong Cafe with uh, Nick's mother, and she stands up to his mother like that, it's, it's a really powerful moment because she doesn't forget who she is through this entire experience. Yeah, that was really nice. And, and I think there's also a big clash 
of like new money versus old money and how you know she's not even rich but she is doing really well I mean she probably has a really nice apartment back in New York and she she's really made a life for herself and I like that uh like Nick didn't change that of her um like even when he does propose the first time and she says no I like that she doesn't want him to give up his family because he knows she knows how important it is to him and how she she could have just said yes and then they would have just he would have abandoned them but he would have resented her yeah no I and that's something I really appreciated about Nick and Rachel's relationship is that he never asked her to change or demanded that she change to fit the mold that his family would have expected. He wanted her to be fully, authentically herself when she met their when his family because he was so confident that she would win them over just like she did with him. And um, she'd never asked him to change, and she wasn't going to make him leave his family and no. leave this whole life and behind just for her. I appreciate that Nick and Rachel's relationship is very modern in that they don't ask each other to be anything but themselves. And when push comes to shove, they don't shift from their core values. They, they stay who they are, but they have sort of changed their perspectives as opposed to those core values. What I also really liked um, about this movie was there was so much at stake and it was like you were kind of like Rachel in this awkward situation and you kind of were thinking as the audience member, what would you do if you like um, were dating this guy and you had no idea that he was from such a wealthy and powerful family and then you meet his family and, and you find out because I think I would be a bit like, whoa, why didn't you tell me a bit about this? Because when she... When she um, was going to wear that red dress, if she hadn't gone to see her, uh, and it's a pretty plain red dress, if she hadn't gone to see her college friend, I forget her college friend's name. Yeah, because she would have been humiliated if she had gone there without an evening gown. And I was thinking, hmm, why couldn't Nick, you know, just give her a heads up, like say, hmm, you might need to wear something a bit more dressy. <laughs> like, it's almost like, hello. Goes back to that same thing that Hannah said earlier, that like, maybe Nick didn't think that she needed her to dress up. Maybe he was like, yeah, she'll just like, I think she's beautiful when she wears, you know, what she wears in New York. So she's just going to show up and, you know, what she normally wears back home. And she's going to be really pretty and kind like she always is. And everyone will love her because I do. And but Pakelin has to swoop in and be like, no, 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 no. That's not how we do he's things very here. Of course, oh, yeah. he's, he's just that, you know, got that in love naivete mm -hmm. that like he loves Rachel so much. Why wouldn't his family? Yeah. I kind of wish, though, that we had seen a bit more of like how they met and their relationship back in New York. Like I, I kind of would like to see if he was very guarded at first and didn't want to tell her much about him. And then when he found out that she didn't know who the young family was, then he'd start to open up. And it would have been interesting to see their like meet cute if they had one or just the first part. But I think it's refreshing that this movie doesn't spend that time on like the beginning yeah. of the relationship because so many rom-coms do. It's just, we're jumping right in. They've been, they are in a stable relationship. They're comfortable with each other. They've been dating for a year and a half, but let's throw in this new wrench to make them unstable and make them still have that sort of a, oh, maybe they'll break up and this movie will go really badly for them. Um, have that, that, so have it fall into more that trope as like, oh, we need to see their relationship from the start and maybe they'll be together by the end of it. Like, no, they are engaged by the end of the movie. Spoilers. Sorry. And of course, they they had the cliched uh, airplane 
<laughs> rush to the airplane scene that every rom-com has. I kind of wish, like, because I know there's going to be a sequel, so they're probably saving it for that. But what they're planning, like, is he still going to take on the family business and they're going to move to Singapore and she'll have to give up her job at NYU? Or, like, I, I kind of wish we knew a bit. I, I, I will, yeah. I, I'm really interested to see, like, because I'm sure that obviously, like, all the boring future conversations between, you know, when he proposed to her on the plane and when we get the, like, final cute scene of the engagement party like we didn't need to see that I'm you know like we yeah we assume that, that we're happened. here for the romance yeah we're here for the romance we're not here for like the, the talking um but I'm sure that yeah it'll be interesting to see because I think yeah I think Hannah's right that I did a little bit of research on the other two books and I know that the I believe the second book like, yeah China Rich Girlfriend yeah, it, it partially focuses on Astrid and like partially focuses on like Nick and Rachel's wedding so presumably that would be like the next installment would be mm-hmm. like their wedding. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see like what are their plans post-wedding? Like where are they going to live? What are they going to do? Yeah, I'd love to see a whole film trilogy for this because I fell in love with all of these characters and I felt really attached to all of them by the end of it, except for Astrid's husband, um, <laughs> who was who was a mean, mean man. And I do never care. need to see him again. Never need to and see maybe- him again. Maybe we'll see um, Nick's father in the sequel. That's true, because we don't get to see Nick's dad. It's mostly the mom. Yeah, well, I don't think yeah. we'll ever see Nick's dad, because even in that scene at the beginning, she just the mom she calls, calls the dad. We hear his voice, and I think, but we, we never see him at all. And I like that. <laughs> I like that, because it, it like reinforces the fact that, like, yeah, maybe Nick's dad is the one that has all the money. But it's Eleanor who runs this show. She wears the pants. She's the one getting stuff done. Yeah, but I I loved how, like, real the plane proposal was. Like, it wasn't, like, a stage thing or anything. I love that Nick had to be, like, ducking around people and be like, can I help you with that? Okay, there you go. And back to this proposal that's happening right now. It just, like I keep saying, it just felt very organic and very real. And it felt... Like, it, it, it fell into the trope of the plane proposal, but it felt like a break from the plane proposal. Like, it didn't go perfectly, and it wasn't like a storybook moment right until the very end when he crossed over a couple people to actually get to the aisle that she was in. Yeah, and I want to believe that, like, the family are like, oh, you don't have to do the business anymore, but I don't know. I can't believe that. Like, I feel like they still want him to live in Singapore, especially the mother. Yeah. The, the least, I will say it, the least believable part of the movie for me, of everything that happens, the least believable part is how quickly the mom 180s, like, I, and gives over yes. the engagement ring. Like, I know that, like, we're on a short timeline, movie's wrapping up, like, we've only got so much time to work with here, Rachel's going back, like, I, I understand all of that. And a scene where, like, Rachel just, like, absolutely obliterates Eleanor and, like, proves that she is the best is, you know, it's fantastic, and obviously Eleanor is, like, very deeply moved and shook by it. I feel like but it's Rachel just, proving herself. But, but my God, it's such a quick 180. It's a little jarring that, like, Eleanor went from, you know, in the span of, like, half an hour, she went from hiring a private detective and banning Nick from ever seeing her again to, here's the engagement ring, yeah, go nuts! And humiliating Rachel, and then, and then you know, she pretty much, Rachel said to her, you know, I'm leaving now. This could have been the mother's chance to be like, yeah, she's out of Nick's life. I'm so happy. But instead, she wants her in his life then. Like, um... In defense of Eleanor, I feel like that scene was very much... Because um, after the breakup, like, 
Rachel's in that room in Pakelin's house for gosh only knows how long. Like, she could have been in there for, like, a couple weeks at that point. Um, so, like, the mom would have had time to, like, talk with Nick about, like, how utterly heinous that, that act of hiring that private investigator was. Um, and... Uh, I mean, both of them have taken the time away to, like, thank, even though Rachel's not returning next call. Okay, I'm sorry, but this is where, it, see, Hannah's, like, the, the more the rom-com sympathizer. I'm not. This is what made me, the, the part of the movie that was the least believable was Eleanor's Quick 180. The part of the movie that made me the most mad was the fact, was when Rachel refused to talk to Nick. I get it. His mother was terrible to you. His grandma, double terrible to you. They have family hired a private investigator. That's awful. And a terrible invasion of privacy. Nick didn't know about it, though, and he had nothing to do with it. Answer his friggin' call and talk about it like adults. Like, it drove me insane. It's my least favorite part of rom-coms is when conflict could be avoided if somebody answered yeah. his damn phone and spoke. Like, it drove me nuts. I was like, but Rachel. She's mad, but she's mad at the family in general, and Nick is part of the family and is trying to reach out to her. He's doing yeah, especially best. since... They were so mature as a couple, and then now she's being really childish. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just also a big thing. Like, it, it's a big deal. I'm sorry, I'm going to defend the rom-com standards here. Sorry if, I'm, sorry, if, sorry if I'm being a controversial devil's advocate over here. But, you know, it's a big deal. Like, your, your boyfriend's family went completely behind your back and engaged in this huge invasion of privacy and Nick is part still part of the family even though he loves her even though he cares about her deeply and didn't know about it he's still part of the family and is still trying to reach out to her when she clearly does not want to talk to him I'm curious because uh, I haven't read the book and it didn't sound like you finished it but I'm curious how they went about writing that how Kevin Kwan wrote the ending if it was different at all in the book. I think now that I've seen the movie, I'd be willing to give the book another try, or even try the audiobook. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks through the library this summer, um, so even maybe the audiobook might go better for me. So I'd be interested to see how the book ending differs and see if the ending was sort of more uh, on the rom com trope side for movie purposes to keep viewers engaged, yeah. whereas maybe the book had them handle things a little more maturely and handle it more like an adult. Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe I will have to look back into the series. Yeah, that's a good point, because I, I haven't read it, and I, I haven't known anyone that read it until now. So it's interesting how I have read books, too, where or I haven't been able to finish it, where I find that the movie is actually better. Um, I read, like, for romantic comedy purposes, I think the only romantic-ish kind of book I read was The Notebook, but I had seen the movie first, and I preferred the movie better because... In the book, it really, really went on about, like, silly little details and a lot of um, frivolous things, like, around the room, like, talking about the objects, and, and I found that the movie, at least I preferred the movie better, and so that's interesting to hear that with uh, this romantic comedy as well. Well, and also I think that like where Crazy Rich Asians benefits as a movie, I haven't read the book, this is just secondhand knowledge through you, but like oh, you want to show how wealthy these people are? Here's a shot of their house. Like, you don't have to go into pages yeah. and pages here of is description. A, here and, like, is a scene of Astrid buying very expensive yeah. jewelry. Like, you didn't have to, like, read through pages of, like, detailed description of all the jewelry in this room. You see the room that Astrid's in. You see the jewelry. You hear the brief description about the 
the was it a ring or a necklace that it she bought? It was a ring. A ring, yeah. You hear the brief description about the ring that she buys for herself, but it's visual. And even like when um, and that when drives Rachel, home a lot more. Yeah, and like when Rachel, you know, you can read about how rich the Young family is for you know as long as you want, but it's so striking to me that scene, like especially um, getting to sort of experience discovering Nick Young's house for the first time with Paiklin and Rachel, who are also seeing it for the first and time. And Paiklin's from Singapore. Yeah. Like, she's heard rumors about the Young Mansion, but, but she's, she's never yeah, seen it. Yeah, but, like, seeing their faces when they see what this place is like in reality. And you were you getting, shocked. I was shocked. And, like, you getting to be there with them, like... It's so decadent. You just get to take in this decadence and the and color. And yeah, what I also thought was really good for imagery was when we first see Peng Lane's house, um, that, because we see that before we see the young house, that looks really big to us. Like the image of that. And that's also like the new money. They're very frivolous. They're kind of, when she goes inside, everything's all gold tinted and very unclassy, very new money. And yeah. then when we get the contrast to the Young's estate, which is like, you don't just get into the house right away. There's like this forest driveway and everything looks the abandoned. And, the and then these huge gates. And then you get to this big like property. But, but Peng Lin's house looks so big to us. And it's just ironic how in like 20 minutes things completely change in yeah. our our, the audience's perspective of what looks rich and what's poor it changes too. Well, and I was thinking even like what's what I think is so cool about I, I also like the crazy rich Asians like like we said earlier, it just jumps right into Singapore. Like we get very, very minimal New York setup and then like boom, we are on the plane, we are going to Singapore. And I like that because, you know, when like say, you know, you're watching a movie of like a Jane Austen adaptation, like, yeah, you need to see the different locations so you know, like, oh, Mr. Darcy's house is big in comparison to, to the, Bennetts. the Bennetts. But, like, when you're watching a movie set in present day about people who are really rich, we don't need to know what Rachel Chu's apartment looks like to know that the Young family lives yeah. in a mansion. We know that the Young yeah, family lives in a mansion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because... Yeah, because Rachel Chu is us. We are basically all Rachel Chu. So we can already tell her background and, uh, like, the single mom background uh, that her, she grew up with and how she had no dad, and, and that kind of is all set up. We have an image of what her apartment looks like. I mean, she is a professor, so she'd probably make a pretty good income. Uh, I think she's a bit of a new professor, though, so we just think of, like, a pretty good-sized apartment in Manhattan or something uh, from other rom-coms usually laid out in our heads if we don't live there. But and then and then the idea of um, the young family is just this huge conscious that we don't even need to see her house or even um, Nick's house at, in New York. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 very much a like visual versus text textual thing. Like I appreciate that Kevin Kwan like took the time to be like this. We are going to lay out exactly for you how wealthy these people are but it doesn't translate the same way to a, a visual medium like a movie it's it's showing not telling which is yeah. you know it, it's a sort of a cardinal rule of writing but it works so well for film because it's a visual medium you just see it and you have all these establishing shots of the mansion and what it looks like and of Peglin and Rachel being like whoa holy wow you know it's <laughs> um 
it, it just I just think that Crazy Rich Asians in general just translates better as a visual medium as opposed to a textual one because like I said I got annoyed pretty fast with like oh this this ring that she was going to buy was worth millions of dollars and she'd already spent millions of dollars on jewelry that day but she didn't care and I'm like I know I get it she doesn't care she has money yeah. I also loved um, the cinematography and like you said about how people probably got a lot of traveling done in Singapore after this movie and it probably boomed not right now but but at the time and the cinematography was like just the feel of the city itself yes with the food but also uh, like you know the boats that are under the um the the bridge and and the buildings and the you know when she's having like breakfast with Peng Li or something outside and it just looked or even when Nick is with his um the in his bed uh his oh my gosh Nick and the to-be groom are in a helicopter and they land somewhere but in the water and it looks so tropical and so beautiful oh yeah no the the Singapore is absolutely gorgeous and it feels like you see it from Rachel's point of view and it feels very overwhelmingly like elegant and rich like, it's, it's a rich environment in that there's so much to look at and so much to take in, but it's rich as in, like, you can tell there is wealth in this place. You can tell that this is where people make a lot of money and they spend a lot yes. of money. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah, and I agree. Like, I, I love the, how this movie was shot. And, I mean, both of you now have seen La La Land with me and know that <laughs> my, one of my favorite parts of that movie is it's, how it is shot and how bright and colorful it is. And I loved the use of colors in Crazy Rich Asians. Like, even from the beginning, I feel like this is just me, like, making this up. I've, I'm not a cinematographer, but what I liked about the way that it opened is, so you have, you know, Nick and Rachel in the, the cafe in New York. Um, a lot of, like, blacks and yeah, whites. Yeah, it's monotone. a lot of blacks and whites. It's very monotone. But then you have the, you know family member or like family friend or whatever who spots them and sends the text off and every time a text goes off it's this really colorful line that links all the phones and you get these brilliant like bursts of animated color linking all the phones and it's like that hint of like oh this is the the color and the wealth of Singapore this how is it appears the larger in, community yeah this is how it appears against the backdrop of like gray neutral New York and so then you sort of like you get the hints of the color before they're in Singapore, and then they arrive, and it's like, bam, everything is bright, everything is colorful, everything is rich all the time. And the colors in the movie are just very rich in general, just not even like from like a wealth standpoint, like just from a color standpoint, the, the colors of the movie are so wonderful, and the aesthetic of the movie is just incredible. The, my favorite scene in that movie, I think, without a doubt, is the wedding makeover montage that they do with Rachel of her, like, picking her dress, and... Um, the arrivals of all the other society people and just seeing... She looks like Cinderella. Yes, it's very much a Cinderella moment and I think it's executed very well. Um, it's a complete transformation from the Rachel that we're used to but she's still like herself when she walks past the aunties and she's like, good afternoon, hi, I'm here. Bet you and you're in my way. Here. Yeah, oh, and when she sits down next to the princess and they actually like get to know each other and, and the princess yeah. enjoys having Rachel sitting next to her. It's such a powerful moment. Yeah, because the minutes before she goes over to her 
the Nick's mother and Nick's mother says, oh, our row is full, even though it's clearly not full. But if she had sat there awkwardly, she wouldn't have met the princess. And that made a really good impression, too, because the mother was like, wow, this girl. Oh, man. It's like, <laughs> oh, damn. Like, I yeah. knew Rachel was powerful, but she's powerful with like a capital P. Yeah. What I so do? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, Continue. You first. you first. Mine is like not super related to. No, no. Say it. Say it. Yeah. I was just gonna say what I'm really, what I would really love to see out of a sequel. Obviously, if I had read the books, I would know what was coming in the sequel. But I, I haven't. Like not so knowing. I like not knowing. Yeah, personally. it's a surprise. I might but, wait until the second movie comes out so I can read the second book. Yeah. So like you know, but what I would love to see and where I hope the direction of this is going is because I do know that the second book, like a lot of it is, a lot of it is um, Nick and Rachel's wedding, is okay. Rachel's won the mum over. What about everyone else? Because as the mum says to Rachel earlier is it was really hard for her to get into this family like when she married Nick's dad you know you can see that the grandma still treats her with pretty minimal respect and you know the grandma really didn't like Rachel at the end there and so okay you've gotten the mom to turn around you've you know the mom's given her grandma over yeah like I would really be interested to see if you know the wedding drama is if it, you know, takes the direction of, you know, how does the rest of this family react to this wedding? How are they preparing yeah. themselves? Is the mom yeah. actually going to be in Rachel's corner now that they're getting married? Is she going to help Rachel stand up against the rest of the family? Or are we going to see the mom shrink back and, you know, be more hard against her? You know, okay, and yeah, you've won me over. Say, how You're are they going to welcome Rachel's mother? Because she is a single mom, and she did have Rachel... Uh, with another man, not the husband she was with at the time. So it's very interesting to see how they'll welcome her in the community too. It, it's it, it kind of when I was watching it, I don't know if you guys follow the royal family, but it was very much like Harry, Prince Harry, and Meghan Markle's romance because yes, yes, because Meghan is in their eyes a commoner and her mother is a single mother who raised her on her own just like uh Rachel's mother and I just when I was watching this I was like hmm there's a lot of similarities you Harry and Meghan got married yes like (laughs) (laughs) um no it's it is it is very much I feel like it's gonna be a big clash of cultures because not only because of like what Rachel's grown up with expecting weddings to be like versus what Nick is used to, like, society weddings being like. So it's probably going to be a lot of the mom being like, this is how we do things. And Rachel being like, is it, though? Um, And I feel like there is going to be a lot of conflict between Rachel's mom and Nick's mom because... um, there was that one look between them at the end, at the very end, at the oh end. Oh my god, Rachel, what a look! Uh, where where the where Rachel stood with her mom and was like, "This is where I came from, and this is where I learned it. What excuse do you have?" Um, and I'm not ashamed of my family. I'm not yeah, ashamed of my mother. I'm not ashamed of who I am. Um, so I feel like I I really want to see that clash happen. I really want to see how Rachel's mom, who is again a self-made woman very strong in her beliefs and is doing what is best for her family um conflicts with nick's uh, mother eleanor in that they come from very different worlds and how that's going to leak over into rachel's probably mounting anxiety about having to do a very large society wedding with uh the man that she loves but who is very ingrained in the societal 
um, world that she's sort of stumbled into, for lack of a better word. I'd, I'd really love to see that in the sequel and how that would play out. But obviously, keep the focus on Astrid because Astrid needs more time. She always yes. needs more time. And I love in the end because uh, she's her husband has had an affair and and they have a child together and. And the husband has never, you know, given any attention to her or their son. He doesn't make time for them. He misses his son's birthday. And in the end, when she says, you know, I can't remember their son's name, but he's like, oh, we better make like a plan of when I can see like visitation rights. And she's like, you know what? We're going to choose when blah, blah, blah wants to see you and when we want to have you in our life. And I thought that was a very strong modern American thing to say about like you know what maybe we should have a chance to figure out when we want to have you in our life instead of you only ever making it when it suits you. Astrid and Rachel I think get along very fast if I remember correctly they get on uh, pretty pretty uh, pretty much off the bat Uh, and I think she's sort of been influenced by Rachel and her more American ways and being like wait no I don't have to stay with this person if they're not making me happy I, I don't have to live my life in quote-unquote service to them. She spent her whole life changing who she is to try to please her husband. You know, she hides away what she buys because she doesn't want him to feel embarrassed by how wealthy she is, you know. She doesn't want him to to feel feel, uh, less masculine or less like a man because, you know, she has all this wealth and because she has all this power and because she could do damn fine without him. And so she starts having changed herself so drastically for him. But then by the end, she comes around the other way and is like, actually, I'm going to start being me and not being who you want me to be. And, you know, you can get out of here. And who my family wants me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, yeah. what's, what was your favorite line? It was from that scene. Oh, it's the best. I, I, won't say, I, I don't know if I can say it's the best line in the movie. There's a lot of really good lines in the movie. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite lines in the movie easily is when Astrid leaves the husband and says something to the effect of, you know, um, I'm sorry I spent so much time trying to make you feel more like a man, but I can never make you feel like something you aren't. It's oh, like, I know. It's, oh. oh, it's so you, good. You had to pause the movie so you could be like, oh! <laughs> it was really yeah, that's the, the best insult you can give a guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Oh. It was so should we move on to our last judgment? Or do you guys have anything left to say? Oh my gosh. I was going to say, if you let us keep going, we'll never leave. We will never leave. This will just be the infinite episode of this podcast. The episode yeah, that I'll never ends. Yeah, I'll have more episodes of it. <laughs> but, I mean, I... For, for the school paper last year, I started doing a film and TV review column, and I'm ANC editor this year. I'm keeping up with that column. So I've, I've watched a lot of movies this past year. <laughs> um, but Crazy Rich Asians, I think, is one that will def- it, it definitely like satisfies the inner rom-com lover of me, as you might have been able to tell. But it also hits a lot of like very important moments for like modern stories around modern women like the at the end of the day like yes this movie is about Rachel and Nick's relationship but it's about Rachel and how she is a modern woman um amongst all this tradition that she's expected to take part in and how that influence leaks over to people like Astrid how she's affected by that tradition through people like Eleanor like it's 
it's it's very much Rachel's story, and it's a very modern story of seeking acceptance with people who might not necessarily accept you. So did Crazy Rich Asians um, move you emotionally or not? First time I watched it, it did. I was I remember being very engaged with it, um, especially like at the end. Once it came out about the private detective, I was like, "No, not the private detective!" I was I was very distraught about it. But by the end, I was absolutely floored by just how well everything was executed. Nothing felt forced to me because I'm a rom com purist. Um, um, but it just genuinely, it is like a very sort of it is a moving story. I think it it is. And it's universal in its themes of wanting to be accepted by those that you love and looking for that acceptance and worrying about you're not going to be accepted for who you are and having to face that judgment. Yeah, and I think for me, like, yeah, it definitely, I mean, it had my emotions all over the place. And even though I'm less of a rom-com purist, for sure, and, you know, there, there were some moments where I had to suspend my disbelief a little too far, but I do think that overall there... It, it feels very much like a modern rom-com. Like, it, it hits a lot of traditional rom-com beats, but also, you know, and not to be that guy who's like, hmm, from my standpoint, in a perfect relationship, but, like, you know, as some... Like, this is one of the first genuinely good rom-coms that I've watched since being in a relationship, and, yeah, I said it, the Hallmark movies weren't good, but... Um, no, and I acknowledge they are good! Anyways, but, like, this is one of the first, like, really, really good rom-coms I've watched since being in a relationship, and I think that what really struck me about it is it's so important to see how good their relationship was from the start of the movie to the end. Even when they had the hiccups, even when Rachel was being silly and ignoring his calls, like, they to see that like really healthy, supportive relationship from start to finish, you don't realize how important it is until you're in a relationship yourself and then you go back and watch like movies like Grease or older rom-coms and you're like, oh God, I would hate it if Hannah were like that to me or I would never do that to Hannah. Um, yeah. And so it's, I think it's really refreshing in that way. And also, I mean, we didn't really touch on it because we're all white people, but like seeing a movie that is so phenomenal <laughs> and has an exclusively Asian mm -hmm, cast mm -hmm, set in mm -hmm, Singapore, mm -hmm. yeah. like with like Asian directing and writing. Like it's, the music, it's, the music was all Asian. Asian creators, uh, Asian creators like, and it's, singers. It's so, it's not only, and isn't it, yeah. It's a really important movie it, for its story and for what it means to cinema history. Yeah, and isn't it sad that this is, like, it did move me. I, I do like this movie a lot. I don't think it's my favorite romantic comedy, but I really, really enjoyed it. But what's also crazy about what you were saying is that it's, like, the first movie and, like, an American movie that's had an all-star Asian cast. And that's just, like, I mean, I'm not surprised, but I am surprised. And movies uh. facing the Asian community in cinema are so... Uh, immense because I'd say there may be and again coming at it as from a white person's perspective talking to two other white people um, I feel like they are 
on par with the struggles of black people and other people of color in Hollywood. Like, it is so hard for Asian people to get cast in roles that are not stereotypical. And there is not one stereotypical role in this movie. And I feel like this movie specifically really, really paved the way for what Disney's doing with Mulan and how they have it cast purely authentically. They actively sought out actors from China, Vietnam, Japan, um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to be part of this movie and to give them a bigger influence in Hollywood and give them a bigger break. Because China itself has a huge film industry. China's box office is the biggest one, second biggest one in the world. Um, And they have their own sort of Hollywood that is immensely good in their realm in their side of part of the world but it doesn't really cross over here so the fact that uh, a lot of stars of asian cinema signed on to do this and even ones that are more known in the western community like constance Wu and like henry golding um the fact that all of these people came together and made this movie that made this huge splash in um in asian uh, for, for asian filmmaking in western uh, Hollywood is so, so wonderful. I feel like this movie even paved the way for Parasite to be as, success- as successful as it was. It really broke down oh, a lot yeah. of barriers in terms of modern Asian representation in uh, Hollywood. And I think that's the most moving thing of all, honestly, the fact that this had so much good representation that was not stereotypical and that it's paved the way for a huge hit, four-time Oscar winner for Parasite, um, but that it's paved the way for Mulan finally upcoming <laughs> yeah okay so it all it moved us all that's so great so what is another one of you guys's favorite destination films because i was trying to think of some while i was watching this movie and, and i had a really hard time i had to do some half-assed internet research but uh, i was trying to think of like one where you just feel like you are there and I really felt that with, like, Rachel did. Yeah. Do you it's, want to go first? I've talked so much. <laughs> it's okay. I've been on the podcast before, so I'm, like, I'm the secondary <laughs> guest. You're the primary <laughs> guest. Um, but, no, it's, it's funny because, yeah, like, um, Hannah Googled earlier destination movies because I was like, oh, God, I don't know. Travel like, movies. Or travel movies because I, when I think of, like, movies that are set in a location that I want to be or that I, like, think of as, like, a sort of, like, summer travel movie, I think of Mamma Mia. And it's honestly the only movie I thought of for a really long time. I was really, like, picking away at the brain. I thought of Mamma Mia. I, like, dug deeper, and I thought, well, I mean, you have Alvin and the Chipmunks, Chipwrecked, and Road Chip. But I don't know if I'd really uh, classify those as high-quality cinema. Um, But so we did a little bit of digging, and I mean... Um, one of your all-time favorites one of was my, on that list. One of my all-time favorites was on this like list that Hannah had found of like great travel movies. Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh yeah, I like, forgot about that they, one. They, they go all over the place. It's you know obviously it's a it's wacky like, Wes Anderson. Yeah, it's a wacky Wes Anderson, and obviously like the the quote-unquote country or town or whatever that the Grand Budapest Hotel itself is in is fictional, but it pulls from real places, um, and they are in a lot of real places. And it's, you know, it, it's, it makes you want to be in a hotel like that. Like, uh, I know that the Grand Budapest Hotel was inspired by a real hotel. And, like, I want to be there. I want to stay at that hotel. I want to take in those pink walls and that, you know, rectangular building. And you know, it's, 
it's yeah it's one of my my favorite movies and it's not necessarily like a travel movie or a destination movie in the traditional sense but it's it is a mm-hmm. movie that I watch and I'm like I want to be there yeah I think for me when I was looking at that list the one that one of the ones that stood out to me um but the one I'm going to mention is uh 2009's Up from Pixar because those first 10 minutes just gut punch you but at the end of the day, you know, the, the story is about Carl wanting to travel to um, Paradise Falls. Paradise right? Falls. Yes. It's been South a, America. It's, it's been a while since I've watched that movie, but the movie itself is so atmospheric. And, like, when Carl is up in the clouds, you feel like he's up in the clouds. You feel like you're up there with him. Um, you're fully engaged with him and Russell as they go on this crazy adventure. I, the Paradise Falls <clears throat> reveal gets me every time. It's like, so I want to be by that beautiful. waterfall. It's so beautiful. And the the creatures that they meet, uh, especially Kevin, are like, Kevin is such. Like, you. I wouldn't put a passive bird like that to exist in the jungle. Uh, and actually, I, that's a good point. I didn't think of an animated movie because then kind of like Finding Nemo could be one too. And I, I think, especially with like. Because that was in 2009. But. We rewatched Frozen. I watched. I rewatched Frozen two recently, which is one of my all time favorite animated movies. And like the animation quality of the locations in that movie is so stunning. Like, could you imagine if Up's backgrounds, as phenomenal as they were then, were done now? Like that, it it, it would blow my mind. I would think that it was real. Like it was a real place. And I know that they were inspired by South America. And it just the jungle was so lush. And it really transported you, which is, I think, one of the best um, aspects of it. And it came out at a perfect time, too. It came out that summer. So it was like a perfect summertime movie where you felt like you just, like, escaped this tropical jungle. And there just so happens to be a dog with a weird collar that lets him talk. I tried to think of one that was also, like, romantic, and when I was younger, I haven't seen it for a little while now, but I always liked the movie French Kiss, which is a Meg Ryan romantic comedy, and she, like, chases after her ex-fiancé to Paris, and she's never been on a plane, and she's never been out of, like, North America, so when she goes to Paris, and I've never been to Paris, it's just so amazing, and it's it's always so funny because she never actually sees the Eiffel Tower, like she always misses it, like she's either sleeping or it's really well done how they do the cinematography because like she's just walking and then the light of the Eiffel Tower goes out or the train passes and she's looking out and then she's looking at her book or there's something that always happens, and I think that's a really beautiful destination film because. You know, all these funny things happen when they're not funny, like her bags get stolen and her passport gets taken and she's never traveled alone. So there's all these and then like she's walking around Paris all alone and it's just a really beautiful way they show it. One of my favorite destination ones. I mean, Up is, I would, I would make the case that Up is also a romantic movie. Like the whole, the whole journey of That's Up true. is about Carl wanting to fulfill his and Ellie's like big bucket list wish the thing that brought them together and Ellie's not there but he wants to make sure he gets there to see it for her and take the house with him as part as so it could feel like she's also there I will say this is I mean if we were to like I don't know if you'd quantify Mamma Mia no Mamma Mia is a romantic comedy Mamma Mia is a romantic comedy like (laughs) Mamma Mia is definitely my favorite like romantic comedy travel-based movie hands down with 
Crazy Rich Asians being a very close second. Is Crazy Rich Asians objectively a better movie? Absolutely. Is Mamma Mia funnier and sillier to watch? Yes. But I will say real quick, just because Hannah put animated movies on the table, may I pitch to you from movies that make me be in the place where they are set, Ratatouille <laughs> and Anastasia. Do I want to be in that Russian world? Anastasia. Again, France. France seems to be a very popular destination with these movies because it's the city of love. So it's like a romance. It's the romance of just the aura of France. But I mean, with Ratatouille, it's 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 Remy like in his journey to becoming a his chef. Love his love of food. <laughs> and the yeah. And the cinematography that and that is so beautiful. Oh yeah, it makes France so gorgeous. And even like when you get um, as you see like Linguini's journey from his like crap little apartment to his like beautiful mansion the one thing that stays consistent is you can always see the eiffel tower and you're like oh i love france and the music in that movie is gorgeous too which helps a lot but um <laughs> um but anastasia is one of my all-time favorites as well and like the rom the not just the romance between her and dimitri but the romance of her reconnecting with her past in a way that she had only dreamed of and uh, finding her family again and the the princess reveal and it's it, it was my favorite movie as a kid. It's one of my favorite movies now. So I'd, 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 I'd accept Anastasia. I'd put that, I'd leave that yeah. on the table. And what I only thought of actually when I talked to you guys before this podcast was also another fun movie, Monte Carlo with Selena Gomez. And like, again, it's not like a big cinema. It was a TV movie, I think. But it's so great how she travels with her friends to Monte Carlo and then there's like an identity mishap and they think she's this royal princess and it's also played, the royal princess is also played by selena gomez and then the poor selena gomez is like the royalty and and it's just it's so funny and i watched it i don't know like a year ago again and i actually was still laughing even when i was a kid so that's also a beautifully filmed movie even though it's a tv film (laughs) yeah (laughs) tv films they can be good yeah they can be good (laughs) and it was like the prime time of disney like disney originals oh yeah 2008, I think, or 2009. Mm-hmm. The good years, the golden years, if you yeah. will. <laughs> the, my childhood. <laughs> yeah. So do you guys have anything left to say? Do we? I feel like I've talked myself out, which never happens. Um, I don't know. I just, Crazy Rich Asians, like I've said, was one of those ones that I stumbled upon on a whim, and I'd heard so many good things about it, and I was like, oh, you know what? Let's sit down and watch it. Let's see if it's worth the hype. And it absolutely was. And I think it, it definitely deserves the hype um, that it's gotten, Not it, like I've said before, not just because of what it accomplishes as a rom-com, but what it accomplishes for Asian representation in Western cinema, and for what it accomplishes just for Asian representation in media in general, because of the lack of stereotype characters, and every character feeling completely rounded out, and nobody feeling like they're just there, like... There, there. No, it does. It does not feel like a hallmark rom com, which is which is a, a low bar to set. I understand, but it is a bar nonetheless. Um, I yeah. can't say the same about some other movies that I've seen. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that I just I would highly recommend it. Like for people who have not watched it yet, what are I, you doing? I really, really recommend it. I went into it a little bit skeptically because I am inherently more skeptical mm-hmm. about rom coms. Um, but yeah, everything Hannah said is correct. And also just like, it is nice to see, it's nice to see Shanghai painted so gorgeously. Shanghai? Singapore? Singapore. Jeez, 
Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going to take a nap after this. Um, but it's nice to see Singapore, Singapore painted as such a like beautiful, beautiful city yeah. that I would absolutely love to be in and discover. It's and just pretty to look at. It's just pretty to look at. Yeah. And I like that in this romantic comedy, they actually showed family because usually they never show family in romantic comedies. And it's nice to show that that relationship and there's love there and love isn't just between, you know, the couple, there's love with your parents too. And, and that's sometimes and usually the strongest love, but it's, it was really refreshing to see that. Well, it was a pleasure to have you both on the show and Hannah, you for the first time. Thank you for having me. I'm Talked, I've talked so much. <laughs> you have to have Hannah back without me so that, that I, I'm not in the way of, of the, the natural so dialogue. I, was, I felt so bad. I was like, oh no, Christina's not as... I, I keep talking. <laughs> Why don't I stop? And then I don't. It's, it's a constant problem. Well, to all the listeners out there, thank you so much for listening.